Phone rings. My cousin Andrea answers. It's a pelting rain weekday evening last April, just past 7 p.m. and dark as midnight. Without so much as glancing toward me, Andrea picks up the receiver as if she's in her own home and not mine, shifting her infant daughter onto her left hip in a way to make you think of a migrant farm wife in a classic Walker Evans photograph of the 1930s. <laughs> Lightning recap. In Joyce Carol Oates's So Help Me God, a young woman who is married to a much older policeman starts getting strange phone calls. You've got a little time? We've got a little podcast? Sure we do. Indeed. Oh, yeah, uh, this is Short Story Short Podcast. I am Christopher Garcia, here today with... Christy Baxter. And Christy. Yes. Have you ever heard of Joyce Carol Oates? Uh, Joyce Carol Oates is the reason that I can die happy. Because when I met her years ago, she said I was very beautifully dressed before she signed my books. I can guarantee you, no matter what, I will not die happy. Uh, <laughs> it's the very act that is the problem <laughs> I didn't know I needed fashion affirmation from Joyce Carol Oates until I got it and then it was exactly what I needed and you know what I needed fashion affirmation I love that shirt <laughs> <laughs> no I needed to read a short story last week oh I might have one for you what would that be? Well, it's so weird that you brought up Joyce Carol Oates because this is a short story by Joyce Carol Oates called So Help Me God. And this is a story about a woman and her scumbag dirtbag husband. Oh, he's terrible. He's absolutely awful. I literally, because of him, had to take breaks from reading the story. Like, it was just like... And I, it, it wasn't the writing. I wasn't even distracted. It was just, I, I hate it. I hate it. I hate him. I hate it. Flames on the side of my face. Burning? Yes. Uh, very much that. This is, I'm even comparing to something like uh, The Dude in Loneliness uh, by Bukowski, which is weird. If you out-misogynize Bukowski, you are doing something either very right or very wrong. Uh, <laughs> but Joyce Carol Oates presents us with a character with zero redeeming value and a character who has nothing but redeeming values in our main character yes and it seems like um, the possibilities that all those redeeming values represent have sort of for a while been like siphoned away from her by um, the asshole that she's married to, which, by the way, interesting decision to have him called by his last name, even by his wife. Not as weird as you would think. Uh, really? Yes. In uh, the South and in particularly in the Southern Appalachians, it is not unusual for the wife to call the uh, husband by his last name, particularly if they are in a family whose last name is highly established. 
So living in the holler. Yeah, damn straight. Uh, <laughs> yes. And in fact, uh, not even unknown among New Englanders. I know a family who were the Brown family and uh, the wife referred to the husband as Brown. Uh, and his first name wasn't Brown or it had been Brown Brown. Wow. I can't. My brain just doesn't want to wrap around that. Uh, I, I realize I'm probably showing some sort of cultural ignorance, uh, but whole, I don't, I don't like it. I can't imagine calling my husband by his, his last name. Can you imagine your wife calling you just by your last name or does she already? Uh, not often, though I do often go by Garcia. Uh, Garcia, um, <laughs> because uh, it's easy to yell. Three syllables, like America. Um, <laughs> Yeah, three syllables. Yeah, um, you're right. Uh, um, but one of the interesting things here is also she was being a bit cheeky with the name Hit Man. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 I see that. I see it. And there's also, of, of course, an element of authority and authoritarianism in the the last name because it it does feel so much more formal than you know, say, other options like a first name or a pet name or you know, anything like that. So, yeah, I mean, like, I, I understand the reasonings for it. I just, I didn't realize it was so common. Yeah, and this is another one of those. Uh, I would actually put this alongside uh, Where Are You Going, Where Have You Been as a story that examines naivete versus just flat out evil. Uh, I think that that is, she is not, as she proves at the end, a character who runs away and locks herself in the closet to avoid the monster hunting her. But instead, I don't want to say dives headlong into it, but uh, at least watches Michael saddle up to her and then finally has that moment. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. It's very, uh, I mean, it, it's a little on the the black and white side as far as like, clear-cuttedness is concerned. Uh, it doesn't have the, the spookiness and the otherworldliness of like, say like Arthur Friend in Where Are You Going, Where Have You Been? Just the fact that I can remember his name shows you how much that story sticks with a person. And, mm -hmm. it, but it, it's still, it's, it's much more grounded because of that. Because he's not the supernatural figure, because Pittman is honestly so freaking real in our world, it feels much more real. And sometimes the realness makes things more scary. Mm -hmm. And there are a couple of points where I found, where I kind of did a, oh, really, JCO? Um, uh, particularly, you know, it seems like she almost attempted to humanize his uh, evality uh, through, you know, oh, he started drinking because the family and then, uh, you know, were, but uh, it didn't overpower the fact that he was just presented as completely irredeemable, even when she tried slightly to redeem him. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that just proves his, his sheer ir irredeemability and that the person who created him can't even redeem him. Mm -hmm. Yes. And again, Joyce Carol Oates is Joyce Carol Oates. She's always going to have this sort of language that is affecting that is neither minimalistic nor super ornate, but is often detailed enough that you get 
more than just the story that is happening. And that is something I love. Uh, in a way, she reminds me of, uh, which is a, rather strange because he's often considered a minimalist, uh, Chuck Palahniuk. And they both have this very interesting way of giving you sort of cut to the quick, but then also layering on top of it a piece that gives you a sense of more being there. Yeah, she is, she's just so good with setting. Um, she really plants you down there. And honestly, I mean, I know I've read a decent amount of, of Joyce Carol Oates. By no means have I consumed her entire output because I don't think anyone can actually live that long um, yet. Science is working on it. And for that specific reason too, just to be able to finish everything that JCO puts out. But I very much attach her to like, Western New York and I guess a little bit upstate New York kind of I'm not great with geography but um and she just she just evokes it for me so much now granted I grew up just spitting distance of the New York state border um so like I, that was the was the southern southwestern border I guess but like it just I I just wonder how that feels to other people from other regions um if they catch that that feeling of like I can see the grass. I can <laughs> see the trees. I can see the exact shade of the sky, you know? I don't know why, but I always feel when I read her stuff, like she's talking about Connecticut. And it might just be, again, her aggressive waspiness. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's very, even when she is clearly writing about somewhere in the South, or uh, I think she occasionally writes about Chicago in a way that does some very nice setting piece but it always it always feels like she has that sense of there is a almost rarefiedness within these settings that are non-rarefied um it's almost like oh, yeah. she through her text <laughs> yeah and she she writes in this yes you're right she has kind of like a waspishness to her writing but she writes about such ordinary people, um, such almost not quite down home, but just a couple notches over down home. And it's just very much like this, this blending, this, this merging of two very different feelings and styles that somehow like really works for her. Yeah. And she does characters so well. And in particular, she does character internal voice better than so and here there is no story I've read of hers that gets that as well here as she does here it's just beautiful it it reeks of both youth and inexperience at the same time as as she sort of reveals the experiences to us it becomes I don't want to say cynical but knowing it, it brushes up against jaded yeah I think that that's just just kind of flirts with jaded it's like hey jaded how you doing <laughs> i think i think at first it feels like she is accepting of it oh yes yeah, certainly certainly and i think part of the way that we are given to where that starts to fall away is because of how she structured the story with and again she does this a lot when you have a small section, it is meant to be impactful. And 
beautifully here the way she broke it out with the wonderful capitals with the illuminations that I loved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she um give me a second. My brain just stopped working for just a second. It'll it'll come back on. It'll come back on. <laughs> the, yes, the dance will certainly help. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we Wait. definitely get um so much of the ride we are taking alongside of our viewpoint character here. We're we're really, and I think that might be part of the reason why, especially the scene where uh, Pittman first meets her is uh, unsettling and difficult is because it's from her point of view and she's so frightened and you're starting to really start to understand slowly the age difference and just how young she is, 14, if I remember correctly, mm. um, I think. I think you're right. 14. 14 or 16, but anyone who's old enough to be a cop probably shouldn't be hitting on her. Just saying. So, like, you see that so much from her eyes that it becomes discomforting. Yeah, and I believe the second, it's the second major section of the story is when we get that scene that is utterly disturbing. Not only that it happened, but that he thought it was funny. And that point of view, when we get that, without getting deep into him, we're pretty much sure, yeah, this is a guy who was touched in the head. <laughs> yeah, you get this real sense of dread. Um, and again, I say all the more real sense of dread because this is kind of realistic um, that somebody would prey on a girl like that and she would have no idea it's even happening. I mean, the, the age, you know, innocence versus experience, et cetera. And so that just makes it even more skin crawling to have to sit there and read it happening to her. And you want to reach through and hug her and pull her away from him. And it's so frustrating that you can't, which is a mark of a damn good story. <laughs> if I want to hug somebody, it's a good story. <laughs> you want to give her a kitten and a cup of cocoa. Uh, oh my gosh, so much. Yeah, it has. The ending is satisfying. A, a slight bit packed, but satisfying. And I think it was important that we got that ending, unlike in Where Are You Going, Where Have You Been, where the ending we got was 180 degrees away from this. I absolutely agree. I was definitely rooting for the ending that we got here, but I was nervous because I have my experiences with Joyce Carol Oates, and one of those formative experiences is the story we've referenced eight times already and so having that experience and knowing how she can do an ending I was like oh god maybe she's not going to give me that satisfaction which I needed even more than ever because of the unsettling feeling that you got seeing through her eyes mm -hmm. absolutely yes I thought this was a remarkably good story I I liked it in the way that I hated everything it said and was about, and yet still wanted to read it again. It had that tinge of horror in how it um, sort of inspired fear and revulsion. And that's really impressive in something that, that is so uh, real, you know? <laughs> you know what I'm gonna say this story was? Visceral. Damn straight. Uh, <laughs> Because, yeah, this is not, I actually would categorize this as a horror story, but it is that 
banality of evil in everyday life sort of horror story. And that concept is heavy. Uh, I've just watched recently uh, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. And it ha- does a lot of, it truds a lot of the same boards. Yes, definitely that, the, the banality of evil in that you know it could always be just around the corner, you know. Um, any corner, even the most uh, innocuous looking one, you could walk around it and find uh, ah, a jump scare. <laughs> Correct. Yes. Got anything else there, Christy? Uh, no, I don't believe I do. Just that uh, damn good story. Absolutely. Definitely. Oh, you know, Christy. Yes. We should probably do this again. We should. It was a good time. I had fun. Um, and uh, I think everybody listening to us had fun and is going to tell all their friends about us and they're all going to listen to us and people will read and listen and it will be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we should probably do a different story because doing the same story over and over would be a bad idea. What, no, see, that's where I disagree. Uh, no, 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 no. We, we ride it out until it becomes new again. Let's put a pin in that. And what, what story should we do if we weren't going to do this one again? If we weren't going to do this one again, if we were in that alternate dimension, which we're not in, uh, we would read The Barrette Girls by Sarah Saab. It's a tough one. Oh, excellent. Alliterations. Lots of sibilant. Yes. Well, until then, this has been Short Story. Short podcast. Do, 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 do